So hi and welcome. You've arrived at the Conscious Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Ruth Ferenga. On this podcast, I interview leaders who are doing something particularly radical or interesting with the way they lead their people. We explore their philosophy and how it plays out practically day to day. This month, I'm interviewing Helen Gillett, former MD of Affinity for Business. She has a particularly inclusive philosophy. It's great to hear how she made that happen. But she also recognises that as a leader who is white, that she and we have a lot of work to do. I started by asking her how she got to where she is now. It's been a bit of a journey, as they say. Um, I started out oh, at the beginning of my career with not too much idea what I wanted to do and kind of landed in a sector without a plan, which was um, kind of technology and IT and telecoms. Um, and then moved around a little bit and found myself with an opportunity at BT um, in the late 90s, early 2000s that sort of presented itself. And as you do at that stage in your career, you go, yes, I'll do that job without thinking where it might take you. Um, And I stayed 16 years at BT and I learned a massive amount, um, mostly not very techie. Uh, I don't have a technology background, so I was kind of busking that part of it for quite a long time. But I did all sorts of things across strategy, sales, business development, service, um, and lots of leadership roles in the latter stages there. So I finished up there in 2015 as Director of Customer Service for the Business Division, um, which was a pretty full-on job. And I got to the point where I'd kind of had enough, and I'd also felt like the sector... Um, it didn't feel like somewhere that I wanted to continue being part of not for any massively negative reason but just I was looking for somewhere new and different Mm. and I felt like there wasn't a first director John Lewis of telecoms that was a shining beacon of brilliance there's lots of good companies but not anywhere it hugely inspired me at the time so um I took a break. Uh, I I had a sabbatical and partly that was down to needing um, some time off for my health mm-hmm. um, because actually that role, particularly that role at the end, had really pretty much driven me into the ground um, to the extent that I was pretty unwell and that might come up again later in the conversation. Um, so I then had the challenge of finding my next role without wanting to stay in the same sector which can be quite difficult because people want they see you as a oh you're BT therefore you might want to work at Vodafone um so so I actually managed to change sector although still within utilities and I was through a friend of a friend put in touch with the the chief executive of the local water company Affinity Water and um, who I was, I was actually a customer of theirs without realising. Um, and they needed somebody to set up a new business for them to meet the regulatory requirement of um, separating out commercial customers, so B2B, that was my expertise, into a separate business from the, um, the household sector and the wholesale side. And they weren't ent- entirely sure how to go about doing that, didn't really have the expertise in-house. So I was offered the role. It was very sort of, we don't know what this job is going to be, Helen, do you want to do it? <laughs> Which I loved. Right. It yeah. was It was very, it was really interesting transition because a lot of the time in BT, I was um, quite risk averse personally. Um, partly down to, at times, um, personal circumstances. I was a single parent for a while. You know, being in that in that environment, it was really important to me that I, I looked after me and mine. Mm. Um, 
and then to find myself accepting a role on the basis that I said, which sounded very vague, um, but interesting, um, was probably a reflection of where I'd got to in my own personal journey of thinking, well, what's the worst that's going to happen here? I'm going to learn. And off I went, uh, joined Affinity Water in uh, 2016, and then had a fantastic four years, a brilliant four years. Um, I set up Affinity for Business. We met the deadline of the market opening for, for commercial customers, which was um, April the 1st, 2017, and ran the business for three years from there as an independent, owned by the same shareholders, um, but operating independently of the, the water company in the same way as gas and electric, the retail and production side are separate, same as, as telecoms for that matter. Um, and so here I am. I, in the last year, 18 months or so, started a non-executive uh, directorship for a large housing association called Orbit Group. Um, and that's been a massive learning opportunity as well. I really love it. Um, and I'm now, having having seen through the sale of Affinity for Business um, to another water retailer, um, on behalf of the shareholders, that was something I had to deliver I then am now taking another break, this time not burnt out, I'm glad to say, but definitely thinking sort of what next for me might look a bit different again. Um, and and I, so I'm taking a bit of time to figure out what that looks like, coinciding with this weird time that we're in right now, mm. which is not the best time to job hunt in some ways. <laughs> yeah, but interesting time for reflection, I suppose, because everybody, it feels like everybody or a lot of people are reflecting and taking a step back I think I think if you're in the luxury position of being able to do so then yes Mm. I am hugely aware of the privilege that I have that I don't need to go out and immediately earn the next paycheck Mm. Um, and there are people I'm talking to I'm doing quite a lot of informal mentoring and advice as well as more formal stuff and for me the thing that I can give at the moment to the collective effort is is my time my insight and allow other leaders who are perhaps up to their eyeballs in issues a bit of that reflection space but 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 if you like facilitated by the conversation with me Mm. um it's coaching it's it's all those things and I'm not qualified in any sense around that other than by experience so I'm very clear that this is not um you know me setting myself up as some kind of shining expert but I just feel like it can be useful to have a chat with people sometimes and that that is that's starting to develop into quite a lot of of time spent with with some interesting people and in this kind of mentoring capacity and I guess reflecting back on your your roles as a leader do you have any kind of strong kind of philosophy or way that you like to kind of facilitate or engage others I I think I mean Yes, the short answer. I never give short answers. There's a much longer one. Yeah. The, the, the thing for me is to find the human. Mm. Um, you know, part of my burnout back in the day was not because BT was a bad company to work for. Um, and actually at times when I was struggling with things like separation and divorce and, my, and, and that sort of thing, being part of an organisation with, with pretty strong HR policies, strong management um, support was was phenomenal but saying that you can lose yourself in your role you can lose yourself in an environment where you have to put a game face on every day and I think for me that bent me out of shape 
mm. over a long, long time to the extent that I couldn't operate like that. And I learned a huge amount through that. And so my philosophy with the people I'm talking to is find out how you are the best you. And it's a little bit, that sounds a bit hippie, but actually, why go to work and be bent out of shape all the time? Why, why feel awful because you are trying to put a brave face on something or or you feel you're not in a psychologically safe environment where you can speak up and be heard or you feel that your difference that you bring isn't valued you know and so the the conversations I'm having with people is around how to gain confidence in themselves quite often um, to harness their strengths and and for a lot of the people I talk to there are you know these are fantastically well qualified experienced individuals the amount of imposter syndrome washing around the place and it, it it's for men and women I find um, it, you know and it's it's trying not to be undermined and debilitated by that actually um, and and work out how to how to move forward from that so I do spend quite a lot of time on getting to know the person not just being transactional about it not just saying right what problem are you trying to solve let's fix it it's who are you how do you tick what what might work for you how can my experience the lessons I've learned the mistakes I've made help you develop and and, and grow in what you're trying to do um, and I think giving people permission to say they don't have the answers especially if they are the leader I think the pressure on senior leaders to always know what to do next especially in a time like now when it is crisis upon crisis um, you actually need your team firing on all cylinders you need your contrib- the, the contribution from those people and they need to not be constantly looking at you saying well tell me the answer mm. so that that's where I kind of take it it goes into some interesting places at times mm, I bet and you mentioned this um, imposter syndrome which no doubt most of us unless you're a kind of psychopath have experienced <laughs> so and, um, and it comes up um it comes up a, a lot, I think, in conversations I have with with coaching clients as well. And it, yeah, w- what's going on there? You know, what has from your own ex- maybe personal experience, like how how does that manifest, and what's the best way to kind of work with that? I I have I have spent a long time feeling like they're going to find out I don't know what I'm doing, basically, um, and and it goes back a long way, and for. And I think it was part of what I found debilitating, actually, in earlier in my career, um, and and at times would contribute to that kind of burnout. Was constantly trying to prove that I do know what I'm doing, you know, work harder, uh, no more, be be perfect, and you can't. So what I learned along the way that I found really valuable is actually it's a blessing, not a curse, because it does drive me to do really well you know um I'm never complacent but I let myself off the hook about things you know I actually still find it hard to acknowledge that I don't know um the answer to everything referring back to the previous part of the conversation it is hard to say that people look at you and go well you're you're the boss you they're thinking you paid a lot of money you you you're supposed to know and it's really hard to say I don't know but it's amazing how once you get comfortable with that what it unleashes in other people um and so what i say to people is don't try and fix your imposter syndrome don't try and 
um, sort of cut it out of yourself or something. You can't cure it. What you can do is turn it to your advantage. How, what, how does yours show up for you? What does it look like? Because it could be different to mine. And, and what are the benefits from it? Um, and I think, I think the other things to recognise is, and you, you said most people have it, if not they're a bit of a psychopath. People who are tremendously certain about everything all the time are not the people I want to work for and with because I am scared about where they might take me with their huge confidence mm. and their, you know, lead from the front thing. Um, I feel like I have more confidence in people who are willing to say, I don't know, willing to say, what do you think? Willing to ask to learn. Mm. And actually, it takes me to a sort of philosophical place of this, this concept of servant leadership I learned at AFB in particular that I was rarely the right person for the job. Take the job being, I don't know, issuing a refund to a customer or dealing with a complaint or who knows, right? Because I employed people who were the right person for that job. I employed brilliant people who would work incredibly hard to do the right thing for our customers, which fundamentally was what made us tick. Me getting in there with my sleeves rolled up, telling them what to do, no. So I had to think about how I could serve them to enable them to do a brilliant job. And some days, and I've blogged about this, some days that meant I was the one that cleaned the coffee machine at the end of the day and stacked the dishwasher because I happened to have a spare half hour. And I could have been busy with email, but honestly, <laughs> that, that you know, that there were times, multiple times repeatedly, where it was apparent to me that my most useful um, activity was in support of my staff mm. um, and I think as a leadership philosophy that's really worth pursuing um, because it also creates connections there's nothing like walking in and seeing the MD sorting the dishwasher out to make somebody who might be a bit scared and daunted of talking to you maybe someone who's a bit introverted or they're new to kind of have a chat and so I used to have some great conversations over the chores um, and I guess it's very much sort of that kind of getting your hands dirty yeah. thing, you know, let's just do this together. I guess that is quite a symbol as well. I, I, I care about it. Mm. I, in other, when I see it in others, I value it. And it's a bit like I never had a, I didn't have my own parking space at the office. Um, because why should I, why did I deserve to never have to walk in the rain the yes. from the uh, from the pay and display around the corner yes. because our car park was oversubscribed. Yeah. So I was on the rotor. And and I felt really strongly about that. Mm. Um, and so these things all kind of symbolise what I learned through leadership, which was that if I wanted my staff to trust me in the, the times when I was the right person for the job, so setting the strategy, managing the, the budget and all that kind of thing, all those leadership things then I had to create that environment of trust and connection mm. and for them to know that I wasn't just in it for myself. Mm. And I wondered whether, because you're talking about imposter syndrome and, and also being human as a leader, I'm wondering, because it feels like for leaders there's this really delicate balance between being a human being mm-hmm. and then, I don't know about gushing, but giving a, a certain amount of strength that you want from a leader you you want them to have a backbone and you want them to be um strong through everything but at the same time 
no doubt it's good to see that they're a human being and I wonder as a leader how do you balance those things how do you know when set to say more or to not get to not give away too much because it's yeah you, you don't want to burden them with your problems or something so it's how, does, how it's, does that it's a really good question and it's something that I have thought about a lot over the years and, f- and it kind of connects with you know it's conscious leadership um you have to be intentional about this stuff and I'll give so for example I shared with my team early on in the AFB journey my story of my mental health challenges and I shared with them how far that 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 went back to my teenage years with eating disorders it went through all the stresses and strains that I experienced both personally and at work not in gory detail but to share with them that the boss could find things hard and was prepared to be open about it and it the catalyst for it was one of the the sort of weeks of awareness I think it was stress awareness week and and I did that because I could see stress building in the business I could see people starting to get um, a bit overwhelmed with stuff we were working towards this March uh, 2017 deadline and I wanted to say to people it's okay not to be okay on a day and by the way we all need to support each other and my sharing of my story for many people would have been deeply uncomfortable and would have overstepped as you said why why on earth do people want to hear about me at my lowest ebb unable to get out of bed for fear of the day that faced me which was where I got to at various stages and yet it unlocked something in our team and our business around trust and what I and we developed that and built that, and if you see the AFB journey story, you you see it took us into all sorts of interesting places, and we won awards, and 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 it was great. And but along the way, what I also had to demonstrate was my backbone. And I used to say to people, "I'm a really nice person, and you know me really well, but it does not mean I'm a pushover. It does not mean that we can afford to carry people in this business who who don't want to contribute, for example." It doesn't mean we don't um, manage performance effectively. It doesn't mean we put up with somebody who's not prepared to um, be part of the team in the right way. And that you just have to prove by doing. You have to um, show people that you can be those different facets. Um, and I think, you know, for some for some leaders possibly if you're more introverted than me I am actually quite introverted in terms of where I get my energy from um, it would be uncomfortable to share but you share it to a point that is right for you and and I think this humanity bit is is really key because if you expect people to follow you just because of the job title and because of your remote impressiveness I'm sorry I think that has those days have gone I think you have to earn the right for people to follow you and part of that is by showing them who you really are um, and acknowledging your weaknesses and also guiding them through when they have tough times, providing that support that they need. The quid pro quo is they work really hard. They deliver really great results. I mean, you know, at AFB we had we were 4.7 out of 5 on, on um, Trustpilot. We were 4.9 out of 5 on Glassdoor. Like I said, we won awards. We had customers who came to us because we were the best 
for what they wanted. We only had 3% market share, which was fine. We were small and beautifully formed, you know. And our motto was not too big to care. And I feel that applies to the customer experience. It applies to the staff. um, And it applies to kind of the way you deal with suppliers, you know. Um, It can apply in any circumstance, really. But it has to be an overused word, authentic. You can preach all that stuff, but if you don't demonstrate it, then I think you never quite get as far as you could have got with it. Mm. And how does that sort of play out day to day with people? Because I guess as a philosophy, that seems pretty cool that we, you know, we have a, like a strong backbone. We we're leading from the front, but at the same time, we're not afraid to be human and say when we have like and um, there's things we're not good at or things that have been tough. Um, you know, is that a regular modelling or is that, you know, I'm just interested into how you're, um, you know, how you're interacting with staff through their challenges. And um, people bring a lot of staff to work, right? You know, whether it's your divorce or your, you know, your grandma or whatever else is going on in your life, people bring it to work. And again, I feel there's such a balance to be struck with here. Like, um, you know, how much we can support people in work and also, as best they can, to have high expectations of what's possible for them in that moment. Mm. And I wonder how you balance those things, like what, how that might play out. It, it's, it's a work in progress all the time, and it is, it's multifaceted. So, so, you know, the old way of doing things, which is still in many places, I think, is it's kind of like turn up and do the job. Just suck it up. Yeah. Suck it up. Yeah. And, and you find teams where they all know each other incredibly well, but no one else really knows them or what they do. And how many times do we hear people lamenting about silos? Oh, we're so siloed. You know, why doesn't, why doesn't this department talk to this department? And, and part of that can be derived from this sort of nobody, nobody makes the time to get to know each other and nobody makes the time to think about what's going to motivate people. So, so from a leadership perspective, you know, what you have to do is think about what is a genuinely inspiring purpose. Now, your, your product, your service may not be very exciting. I mean, water is not ever so exciting. People get very interested in it when it's the wrong place or not at all, the wrong colour or the wrong smell. But the rest of the time, nobody even notices. Mm. So how do you make, what can the purpose of a water retailer be? Well, we had this thing of we're not too big to care. So and 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 we had this thing of for us to be different in our marketplace, we need to have we need to give customers a fantastic experience. And when we get it wrong, we need to be really great at resolving it. We need to apologise properly. We mm. say sorry. We okay. don't say we'd like to apologise for any inconvenience that may have been caused. You know, so you start to infuse this philosophy with people. That was co-created. We we came up with that all together. So, for example, one of the things I used to do was we'd have off-site sessions with the whole business. There wasn't a special group of special people who get to go to a nice hotel and drink posh coffee and talk strategy. It was everybody. That freaked some people out in the business. They were a bit like, I don't even, you know, I've never done this before. But, but what it leads to is you get ideas you wouldn't have got otherwise. You get energy you wouldn't have got otherwise you get people interested in engaging in working on something that of itself is not that exciting you know and and it's in it's in Hertfordshire it's not jetting off to LA or Stockholm so it's in itself it doesn't look very exciting but you create this energy around it 
the bit about people bringing all sorts of stuff to work and how do you balance it is is that you say that's okay but this is this is the objective what we're trying to achieve is you know so what you watch out for is if somebody is consistently not very productive consistently really down you know actually even the strongest people that bereavement that problem with your child or your loved one that financial difficulty will bring you down um you don't need to experience a chronic mental health um diagnosis for that to be difficult and what you have to then do is be sensitive to that and think about so is this person going to be able to function what can we do to help and how do we make sure they don't lose sight of why they're coming to work and all of that requires really getting to know people really well to know what is going on for them without being nosy and interfering but just making it okay to talk about it um and it then requires you to be really clear on what you're trying to achieve and what their part is that they play in that and the value of that mm. you know I, I i've seen a lot recently of people sort of realizing that the work they do wasn't that important and i wrote a piece on it um a few weeks back actually for for my blog on linkedin sort of do you know who your key workers are and these aren't the true key workers who kept the world turning um, or, or, or the NHS staff or whatever. But it's just in your business. Who are the people that really do the work that makes a difference? Be sure you know. Because if they're paid the least and you don't even know their name and this happens, you know, don't be surprised if they stop bothering to try at some point when you need them. So, so, so for me, this whole piece around... You've got to get to know your people. You've got to get to know what will drive them forward, what will motivate them. You've got to generate a sense of team beyond individual teams so you don't have those silos. I mean, that's hard. You know, people, we naturally go into little huddles, don't we? We like our little gang. Um, So one of the things I used to do was uh, rotate around the office. I rarely sat at my own desk unless I needed to really spread out and make a mess. Um, and, And I used to just hot desk. So I would sit with the contact team or sit with the debt management team or the correspondence team and quietly get on with my work. I always asked if they minded because I didn't want to just, you know, <laughs> impose myself. Come and sit yeah. And yeah. to begin with, it was a bit like, uh, yeah. oh, <laughs> Helen's here to watch your language. And I'd be like, you don't have to watch your language. Just, we're just getting on with work. Yeah. And, and I, did, I sustained that over the years. And what that led to was I could, he- I could tune into the work. I could hear the work happening. And and I could get to know people and, and, and their approach to things. It's clearly far harder now because nobody's together in the office. So it's a conundrum as to what how will I work that next time. But as a as a way of being present in the business, um, and and I never my rule my personal rule was I never interfered. So I wasn't there to spy on you, and I wasn't there to start going, oh, you're doing that wrong. You know, what I would do is absorb it and then think about what I'd heard. And then I might have a chat with one of the team managers. I might, what it was great for actually was recognition. Like off the back of a day sat in a different part of the team of the office, I would nearly always have half a dozen thank you cards to write. I heard a great coaching conversation, heard a great conversation with a customer, heard you deal with that issue really well. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Mm. I mean, that sounds like, I mean, that's kind of amazing that you would rove around the business like that. um, (laughs) I love it. Um, But I'm I'm wondering, like, and I think we sort of discussed this before, actually, that as an empathetic person, maybe as an empath, someone who who cares about people quite deeply, I feel like I get that sense from you. Um, 
that's a lot of energy yeah yeah no it is and it's where i've 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 learned as i said about where i get my energy from um and you have to be careful that you don't take the woes of the world on your shoulders um you have to this is this is where and i used to say it to people um because i did quite a lot of coaching with the management team around this style of leadership because it's not the, the the mainstream way that they'd been brought up professionally and I used to talk about the fact you don't need to end up being everybody's best friend, everybody's counsellor. You don't have to be worrying on a Saturday night that they're okay. What you do do is you, um, you, you use it as a way to better support what they need. What does that look like? And we as a business had a model of what that looked like. So if we saw somebody deteriorating, you know, if somebody was really struggling, we, it was all about safety and signposting. You know, are you okay? Are you looking after yourself? Have you got somebody to help you this weekend because you've clearly had a hard week? Um, do you what help and support can we provide that's professional? So we had we had some really great um, systems around that from everything from our employee assistance program that could provide sort of instant counselling if it was needed and instant support. We had a um, a wellbeing service. Uh, called Better Space that was individualised so everyone had their own budget to spend on themselves Lovely. on all sorts of really great stuff um, and and we made sure that we weren't creating as you say an environment where the woes of the world were starting to pile on people's shoulders because that is actually counterproductive I personally learned that I needed to manage my time so that I had time away from the office to just be me on my own not having to talk to anybody um and and time to do structured thinking time to do reading you know I became much more it was interesting the transition from a very um reactive and often quite transactional approach in BT because of the sheer volume of stuff to do with customer service there Mm. to you know I would be back to back on calls back to back email just constant doing Mm. very hard to stop and think and if you stopped and thought about something it felt like a luxury that it was almost like you get found out (laughs) what do you mean you're having a lunch break anyway um to to how i did things at afb which was i managed my time to make sure that for all that giving that i was doing i also could then recharge Mm. which is important isn't it because what it sounds like you're talking about here is tuning in to the business and it's various moods and shapes and the tone of voice the language and um to absorb that in how you might approach things uh, which sounds really interesting and, and just to go back to the whole bring everybody along to the planning day thing or whatever that may be um i mean that sounds firstly it sounds very inclusive it sounds like bringing people everybody um to those kind of strategic discussions so i wonder what you mentioned that people were feeling kind of like, oh, I don't even know what to do here in this hotel, or this isn't really... What effect that has, and um, and kind of what... You know, because I've witnessed some of your, um, your approach, it does sound very inclusive, and I know we've talked before about diversity of thought, diversity of people, and in this current climate of race equality being, being huge, you know. How do you, or have you... How does that play out, that inclusivity piece, you know? Yeah, I mean, for me, again, it's a conscious thing. It's about intent. 
and it's also about recognizing that it you 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 don't there's no destination you're going to arrive at it is a continuum mm. so so the inclusion bit for me was absolutely wanting to make sure that we had you know we were a small relatively small business run on a relative on a very tight margin not a relatively tight margin at all a really tiny yeah. margin we didn't have we we would never have the luxury of lots of we couldn't have got the consultants in to tell us what to do for example um and and so well why would you employ 80 people and not make the most of those 80 people that you can and by the way in amongst those 80 people you'd you'd find all sorts of nuggets of experience of insight of um creativity that you might not have expected if you didn't get to know them properly you know um so, so part of that inclusion for me was let's not write off, let's let's not look at a person, see what role they do, and the and the you know and judge them by that, and go well, the, you're not going to bring anything to this. Mm. Um, so, so that was a big part of it for me. It was a real business decision to make the most of the resources we had, um, and I also think it said something to customers because we would shut up shop, and we would let customers know, and it would be like because we're working on this together. And that tells customers something about the ethos of the business. And I think that's really important. Mm. So that was a, that's a deliberate thing to completely yeah. shut down the business and yeah. say we're all, we're all busy. We're all busy, yeah. but we're busy doing this. Sometimes mm. we're busy having fun. So quite yeah. often it would be a morning of work and an afternoon of foot golf or, you know, something like that or a barbecue. Mm. Um, because, again, the, 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 the way to people's hearts is, is inclusion. It, I've never seen it be hugely motivating to everybody when one person is recognised for something. Because when is one person the only person that made the contribution? That's why I'm not a big fan of individual um, commissions and bonuses and stuff like that. Um, the point about more um, more current thinking on diversity and inclusion, you know, somebody said that I picked up on a while ago, diversity is reality, because the world is. You know, we're here. You can dislike that or like it, but we are here and we're diverse. Inclusion is the choice and actually more importantly belonging is an intent so you can be inclusive but do people feel like they belong it's like am I invited to the party well that's inclusion but you know am I allowed to dance like nobody cares or am I allowed to change the tune on the 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 iPod um you know or am I just here to hang out and look at everybody else um so, so I have a, I have learned a lot, even in a very short space of recent weeks, about thinking, what does inclusion and belonging mean? And I think from what the feedback I got from my business through through the way we communicated, both formally and informally, people felt that sense of belonging, and it's powerful. Now, what I've this 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 continuum point is, I was complacent about race no question in my mind with 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 what i've learned in the last three weeks you know it's it's an explosion and and an awful lot of privileged white people like me are saying oh my goodness i never knew yes we did we knew but it was a bit hard to think about and it was a bit uncomfortable and we didn't really want to have to do anything different maybe too hard not priority i'll get to it no so now for me, one of my objectives, thinking about the future and where I may find myself in leadership roles or advisory roles, is to be much more challenging, honest, open-minded and also to be a, a genuine ally 
where through my platform, whatever it might be, I can amplify voices that don't get heard. Um, and, and I need to learn how to do that because it would be arrogant of me to think I already know. Mm. Um, so it it's, you know, AFB was a pretty diverse place um, across a range of age, background, education, um, ethnicity, gender. We really were, which was great, but it was accidental, not by design. How much better could we have been if we'd given it more conscious intent? Um, you know, my leadership team was all white. Hmm. Um, and why is that? You know, well, that's the structural racism that kicks in because that's about who you actually find to interview and how you go about looking for those people and what judgments you bring to the interaction with them. So all of that kind of stuff, I'm really, I feel like it is the next phase of my learning. Hmm. It sounds a very sort of conscious process that you're thinking about some of the macro issues here. Um, unconscious bias and you know our white privilege as we sit here um, and how you might apply that in your next role in a kind of tangible way I guess yeah and and I mean I'm I'm already in a position to be able to apply it to some degree with the um, non-exec work that Mm. I do and and actually as a director Mm. it's your job to challenge the executive and say where are we at on this you know Um, and and to not take maybe the first answer on face value um, in order to explore it further and help them learn what they might do differently and I think that's an interesting challenge for any board director Um, in terms of next role you know I would want to understand how to create an environment where you had genuine um, belonging through inclusion of diversity Mm. and and you would actively look there is no lack of fantastic people out there that's I'm sure of you need to go find them you need to ask them in the right way you need to make them feel like they belong in the right way and and when I reflect on it it's all how I felt 20 years ago as often the only woman in a in a uh, an environment um full of mostly white men Mm. often the youngest there's an ageism thing there you know um but actually still incredibly privileged um, and therefore still able to navigate things and, and progress in, in a way that for others would just be unimaginable. Mm. It's a lot around social mobility here, isn't there? Like around our, you know, what networks do we have? Who's giving us a leg up? Um, that's interesting to think how we can apply that. Um, mm. And I think it's interesting to say not that we shouldn't have those networks because those networks are very human, but that, that we should be inclusive. Mm. And so it's looking at how you open the doors to things for people who don't even know those doors exist Mm. you know yeah and it's um thinking very practically to the future about how that will play out i mean reflecting back i used to work a lot in women in stem so science technology engineering and maths and and that diversity she was very you know the needle is only moving ever so slowly and things like engineering you may know about that too but but we, talking about gender was very normal and even LGBTQ plus kind of, but it feels like race is like this sort of, it's been a bit forgotten um, or a lot forgotten. And these recent events have hopefully given everybody a shake, you know, myself included, you know, thinking about how I educate myself further and like you said, be an ally. It's um, it's interesting to, to see where where the business world will take this and how like you mentioned being genuine before and how genuine it will be like how we'll see that play out 
you know, because it will probably be called out if it's not genuine. I, mean, I think imagine. what's happened that I've, I'm really pleased about, even in, the, even in only a very few weeks, is the confidence for people to say, no, that's, that's fake. That's, that's, that's a really nice sentiment, but let's look at the makeup of your board. Oh, no, they are all yes. white. That's a lovely so, statement that you've released. So, so, or, or let's look at who, who your major financer is and let's see what actually is going on for them. Um, so I think the, the, challenge, the level of challenge and the level of challenge from a whole range of different sources is really interesting. And yet I don't think you can put that back in a box. I think the connection with health outcomes for um, people of different ethnicity that has been revealed through COVID, you know, I think we've known for a really, really long time that it is much harder to progress in life if you are not white in the UK. But we've always comforted ourselves with, but it's better than it was and it's progressing and it da 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 And you can name a person. Mm, yes. So yeah. it's all right because yeah. of this person of colour let's Mm. say it's a bit like I mean I used to say in BT that you'd know there was genuine gender diversity in BT when the senior women needed surnames because all the senior men needed surnames (laughs) because there were so many Daves and Johns and Ians that you needed to know which one you were talking about the senior women didn't really need surnames because there was just they were you know um and, and, and I feel like there's something here of we cannot say, well, we're diverse because we have one black person on our board or because, you know, our CIO is Asian, yeah. therefore. And yeah, it's like, isn't, it, it's just, isn't fly you know, and, and I've said this in recent days that if, if, if people use the, the argument of, oh, but we have to give the role to the best candidate one more time i'm going to i might lose it because that says to me as 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 a as a woman in amongst a whole load of men quite often that maybe i was the token did you mean to say that to me and usually they didn't mean to say that to me <laughs> but but it it's it's being intentional about the way we talk about this stuff and conscious of what we're doing and it's about choices. We all have these choices. Mm. I really like what you said about um, going out and finding the candidates. And I, I've seen that as well in patches where um, people have gone out to find the non-white um, female candidates for software engineering, for example. Yeah. You know, and it, it's not, it may not be easy, but it, it's almost like our, our duty sort of thing. So, and, and I imagine in a medium-sized corporate, you know, um, potentially for any business, but medium-sized corporate has a bit more you know has a bit more capacity for that yeah i think it's really simple you tell your recruiter i'm expecting a fully diverse shortlist not i'm hoping for not i would like not can you try your best i am expecting to see a fully diverse shortlist and they 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 that can be achieved what it requires is a bit of creativity maybe a bit of a leap of imagination it often requires taking a risk on somebody who has the potential, not the experience. Now, time and time and time again, studies show that you are far more likely to see a risk taken on a white man for their potential rather than their experience than any other demographic. So let's start giving that benefit of the doubt to the rest of us. You know, I know that progression in my career occurred because somebody at a point in time was prepared to take a risk on me. It happened three or four times. Let's do that more. Mm. Um, And let's not keep saying well the chicken and egg thing of until they've got the experience they can't come and tr- play in our you know our space because it's too risky mm. um and and i i just think that intent 
and that conscious um, effort, it, it's not, you know, it's not that big a deal yeah. to, to, to do. Yes. We're prepared to put effort into a whole bunch of other stuff. Let's put some effort into put this. Effort. Yeah. And so you've got things like so getting a diverse talent pool, being prepared to take a risk. What else? What else can leaders do? Or, you know, what else is going through your mind about how this would practically play out? In, you know in the future I think it's back to communication I'm a, I'm a huge like you cannot communicate too much on things um, internally and externally trying to have your people your customers your stakeholders mind read your intention is is ridiculous so for me it's about talking about it communicating about it asking questions seeking out the experts and then doing what they actually suggest and recommend. You know, there's a brilliant book called Racism in the Workplace by a guy called um, Bina Candola, who is one of the leading business psychologists on diversity. Um, his his consultancy, Pern Candola, is excellent. And this book, you know, Bina in chapter 12, it tells you what to do as a leader, as an HR director, as an L&D um, uh, leader, you know, do these things. Well, Where's the harm in actually following the instructions here? Yeah, there's enough wisdom out there. <laughs> there is. A, there's some really great research. There's some really great insight, and and it's back to being being prepared to acknowledge that we don't have the answers. That how we've always done things isn't delivering the outcomes that we need, and that p- we can learn from others. Mm-hmm. And I guess this goes back to sort of where we started in a way around being vulnerable and being a human being and being like we've got a problem, haven't we? And then bringing people into the discussion in a way that it isn't... Because I feel like, to a certain extent, white people can feel like, by admitting that, somehow something is lost. You know, uh, I haven't done enough and therefore... So whether that's conscious or unconscious. So I'm wondering how this can be a a positive exercise for people. And it's not that everyone's going around blaming everyone. Yes, we've got our our background and we could have done more, but what, what can we do and how can this be a... A, um, a positive experience for everyone yeah absolutely I mean I think I think racism is one of the isms that is the most f- freighted you know sexism feminism um, <laughs> all of those other things but 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 racism because of the history because of the the appalling appalling experiences um, and that it was white people doing that to other ethnicities and so I think that is where you get this sense of, I don't even want to talk about it. I don't even want to acknowledge it. I'm just so glad I didn't live back then, you know, whenever back then was. And so for it to be positive, as you say, I think we have to recognise that um, whilst wanting to learn from the past, constantly um, sort of giving ourselves an incredibly hard time about what has happened may not be the most productive thing to do you have to acknowledge it you cannot dismiss it and and have to keep it um in mind but then it's a question of what can we do i mean i'm a great believer in what can we do because the positivity of the action kind of overcomes the negativity of the thought and um i also think that we have to recognize the world we're in and see that we can you know the analogy is almost we don't have to I don't have to um, reduce the amount of the pie that I get so that you can have more actually together we make a bigger pie and then my what it what becomes my quarter instead of my half is bigger than my half was and and so you actually create something 
that is um, additive and and a, and a virtuous circle that grows bigger and everybody gets more of whatever the thing is. I mean, I, I don't know how much sense that's making, but I really feel strongly that part of what protects the status quo is people kind of going, well, I get it, but I don't want to give up my, my good stuff for you because, you know, I feel for you, but I like my stuff. Actually, how about a better world? And this is where I start to sound really you know, idealistic or whatever. But but I feel you have to have an element of that vision about it to say, isn't there a better way of doing this? Um, and and I my maybe not final thought on it, but a, a, a clear thought that I have is, is seeing my children, their generation, the kids I know have really diverse friendship groups, are incredibly accepting of difference. They belong. You know, there's real belonging together. They're going to be looking for that in the workplace in not too distant future. Mm, yeah, if you haven't woken up and they won't choose to come and work for you, mm. right? And and right there, you lose a huge amount as an organisation if if the if the brilliant young people who are coming through don't choose to come and work for you. Mm. Yeah, these expectations of inclusivity, I think, are uh, are there, like you say, and will only rise. Mm. And I guess it's a big thing for for leaders and it's interesting how you highlight like is something lost in this equality thing and how can this be part of a a bigger pie for everyone I think that is that is a really wonderful way of of looking at it to be honest and I guess as a a leader there's there's things like this like diversity like mental health like there's a there's there's a lot out there besides um I don't want to say besides the work because it kind of is the work. <laughs> it isn't is it? the work, yeah. Yeah, and um, and I guess I guess to kind of sum up the interview really is that amidst everything, you know, the massive business challenges we've got probably in your business, I imagine you had very ambitious targets. Um, people, um, some very capable, others going through tough times, other challenges, trying to include everyone in this conversation when there might be people sort of pulling in loads of different directions. So how do we bring this together? Amidst all of that, yeah, how does how does Helen look after herself? Hmm. Yeah, it's a good question. As you as I've touched on, at times I've really not I've come off worst in the balance, if you like. Um and I think, you know, my lessons from it are the time to recharge that I talked about. Um and and some of that is down to specific things like I run, um, I run outside. I try not to time myself too much or put measurement around it because there is enough measurement in my professional yeah. life. Um, so I just, I run outside and for as, um, long as. for as long as I can. And I always have this thing of better to do half an hour now than not do the hour and a half I would have liked to have done. So sometimes it's an hour and a half, two hours. If I get lost, it can be even longer. Um, <laughs> but I take advantage of living somewhere with really lovely countryside and I go off and I get lost and run. Um, so that's a big thing for me. Um, I also, you know, I, I, I read and and try and detach myself. Like I, I love a business book. I love a um, psychology and all that kind of thing. But I also love a great novel. And so I'm a big fan of losing myself in a wonderful story um, because it, a real paperback, <laughs> not digital. Um, and And just letting someone else's imagination kind of sort my head out and that's those two things are are pretty big for me Mm. that sounds wonderful to give yourself some space yeah yeah it took me a long time to recognize I deserved it 
Mm. And kind of in this interesting transition that you have now, what kind of advice are you giving to yourself? You know, what sort of words or summary are you kind of, or mantra, I don't know how you talk to yourself, but is there anything that's kind of going through your mind about, you know, your, the change you're in and, and the next step? You know, it doesn't have to be a long thing, but is there anything that's... I think I, I keep slightly flippantly referring to it as what, is that, what I'm going to do when I grow up. Um, because... My daughter said something interesting to me the other day, actually, one of my girls. She, she said, it's amazing that you found your dream job when you were kind of 45 or whatever I was when I started with AFB. And because and, we've been talking about career stuff and she's got that classic sort of fear of what am I going to take the wrong decision about the next step and so on. Um, and I sort of, I really liked that because I feel like when I was younger, I did worry all the time about, how do I make this work and how do I choose the right things to go to the places I want to be at in, you know, five years or whatever. I'm much gentler on myself now. So I, I, I feel like I have a lot to give. I've, I've learned, learned and earned confidence in that. Um, the conversations I'm having with people about the stuff that might come up in the next six to eight months you know, recognising where we are now with COVID means it may not be the right time for change of leadership. You know, I'm filled with optimism, funnily enough, about the opportunities that there will be to, to make a difference. Um, and for me, the making a difference bit is really, really key. I don't want to run something to flog stuff to people to make a return to improve the EBITDA or whatever, you know. I do care about hard commercial measures, don't get me wrong. But, but I'm not motivated purely by that. I'm looking forward to what reveals itself through this process I'm going through, where I can make a difference. And we'll see what that looks like. You've been listening to the Conscious Leaders podcast. I'm Ruth Ferenga, founder of Mindful Pathway. We help CEOs and other leaders create the space they need to succeed through mindful leadership coaching and training. You can find out more about us and the podcast at mindfulpathway.co.uk.